Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. Welcome to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and you're listening to episode one, where I'm going to give you the ultimate checklist to get you ready, really ready, for a new year of music teaching. Let's go. Are you coming up to a new year or a new term in your teaching? Many of us are, and as we do so, we have a lot to consider. There's policies and payments and enrollment forms and the calendar and then your sanity, right? How can you keep all of this stuff together? How can you put everything in place for a great new year of teaching without going a little bit bonkers? Because there's so much to handle. And if you're a solo teacher or if you're running a multi-teacher studio, it's going to be really tough to keep it all in balance and to make sure you provide a fantastic experience for your students. What I want to do in this first episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching podcast, and as we come up to a new year, is to give you a sort of virtual checklist, an audio checklist of stuff that you can go through in order and feel like you're on top of everything, you're ready to go, and you've got it all covered. So the very first thing I like to look at is my enrollment forms and policies. That's my top priority when I'm getting ready for a new year. Now, I like to do this a couple of months in advance, but if you've left it to the last minute, if you're starting in a few weeks, that's fine. You can get this done now. It doesn't have to be complicated. When it comes to putting together enrollment forms, you might like to use an online service like My Music Staff or something like that. I actually prefer physical paper forms. I'm old school when it comes to enrollment forms, and I like to have the physical thing in hand. The reason I like to do that is because I like for the policies to be physically signed by the parent to indicate that they've read them. And also, crucially for me, the photo and video release form, I like that to be in a physical format where they're really agreeing to me using their child's photos or videos of their child on my YouTube channel, that kind of thing. I think that's a big commitment. There are a lot of benefits to it as well, but I want to take it seriously and I prefer to have the physical form for that. Also, this year with GDPR coming in, I've actually had to do some revamping of an extra sheet to go with my policies so that people know what's happening with their data. If you're outside the EU, you don't have to worry about that, although it might be something that you might need to include in the future. So along with the policies and the photo and video release, I include obviously the actual enrollment form. And on that, 
I ask for basic details such as the name, the address, email, phone numbers, who to contact in case of emergency, that kind of thing is all really important to have. The other thing I include is a space for special needs or allergies. I find it's really important to include this in my enrollment forms because otherwise sometimes parents don't think to mention these things. They know their child has dyslexia, but maybe they don't think somehow that that's relevant to piano or they just don't think of it or they don't know when to say it. So putting that spot on the enrollment forms makes a big difference to how often people flag these things for me. And the allergies is just in case there's ever an event where something is happening involving food and I need to know just in case that they have a peanut allergy or something like that. That's important information to know. As well as that, on the enrollment forms, I include a space for scheduling. Now, I do what I call opt-out scheduling. That means I have boxes for Monday, 1 p.m., 1.30, 2 p.m., etc., and for all the days that I teach. And the parent has to cross out all the days, all the times that they are not available. So they physically have to put an X in all of the boxes which they do not want. I'm not asking them when they do want, I'm asking them when they cannot come. This tends to lead to a little bit more flexibility in terms of you putting together the schedule because you know all the times that they're available, not just their favorite time, but all the times they're available. And underneath that, I do ask for a preference as well so that people can write in if they really, really would like to stick with their spot on Tuesdays at 3.30, they can write that there too. So that's the enrollment forms and policies. Now, when it comes to the actual writing of your policies, you may need to rework that at this time of year too. Have a look through your policies and think back over the last year. Is there anything that came up again and again that isn't covered in your studio policies and that is maybe a point of contention? I like to keep my policies to one page. So this has to be stuff that comes up again and again or that I can foresee doing so. If it's something that the occasional parent asks about, that's just a conversation I'm going to have and maybe flag up in a different way. But I don't like to extend policies beyond a page because it just makes it so much less likely that someone is going to read them. And if no one is going to read them ever, then there's no point having them, in my opinion, because they are not a legally binding contract. You're not going to use them in a court of law. So just having the sake them for the sake of having a piece of paper is not worth it. You need people to read them. And if you want people to read something, it has to be short and to the point and in clear conversational language. So revisit your policies, make up your enrollment forms and give them out to parents and give them a due date. Make sure you tell them when they have to be brought back in. I like to make this about six weeks before the start of term. Again, if you're working with less time, that's totally fine. Just make it a time where you're going to have enough space in your schedule to figure out the timetable for the new year because otherwise it leads to this panic at the last minute as you try to slot everyone in and it's not working out and it's so stressful. Don't do that to yourself. Give yourself a week or a couple of weeks at least to sort out the schedule. Once I have all the enrollment forms back in, that's when I make up my schedule. Now I know we all do this in different ways and a lot of us find this one of the worst parts of our job. I actually do this using Google Sheets or an Excel spreadsheet, same difference, because I have overlapping lessons. My buddy lessons are students coming and overlapping for a portion of their lesson time. So I need to do some 
complicated fitting together of various pairings and working out how the overlap is going to work. That's why I found that a Google Sheet or something like that is the simplest way. You can also use a service such as My Music Staff or Calendly or something like that where parents can log in and book their own slots and sort it out that way. Or you can schedule it yourself within there as well. So whether you're using an Excel sheet or an online system or a bunch of post-it notes, it doesn't really matter. But if it didn't work for you last year, maybe write in the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers group and let us know that you're looking for a new system, that these are your requirements, that this is what didn't work for you last time. And we can brainstorm together with the group of over 3,000 members to help you along your way. Now, there's an important note to make here about the schedule, and that's that you need to give yourself breaks. It is so tempting when you're looking at those boxes in Excel or Calendly or whatever to just smush things up against each other. And I understand, especially if you're a parent, that you may have other considerations such as you paying for childcare. But you do need to look after yourself. So I recommend you set a minimum break allowance, much like you would have in a contract if you were an employee. You need to set these things up for yourself as rules so that you don't overstep them. They have to be strong rules. My rule, for an example, is that I won't go more than two and a half hours or four students, whichever comes first. So if it was four half hour lessons, that'd only be two hours without a break. And my break will generally be 20, 30 minutes, uh, depending on the day. If it's going to be a day where I have several short breaks, that's fine. They could be 15 minutes. But if it's one break in the middle, it's going to be 30, just to make sure you have enough time to make some food if you need it or grab a coffee or whatever else you need to do. I really am so passionate about teachers setting these rules for themselves because teachers tend to be very giving people. And if you don't set boundaries for yourself, you're going to overstep. You're going to work into what should have been your time to look after yourself. And after all, if you don't look after yourself, you're no good to anyone. You can't teach anyone to the best of your ability if you're burned out. So set some requirements for yourself. It might not be as short as mine. It might be much shorter. Maybe you need a break every hour. There's no judgment here. This is your business. So you can set it up the way you want and don't let anybody question that. Set yourself an actual rule. And if you're someone who is very likely to want to break that rule when someone asks you for a favor, then write it at the top of your scheduling software or your sheet or at the top of your post-it note pile. Put it in writing so that you can see, this is what I told myself I would do. This was my contract to myself and I am not supposed to work more than two hours without a break or whatever it is. Once I have my schedule in place with the minimum break requirements, That's when I go to my waiting list. So if you're not full, you're going to still schedule your returning students probably first, and then you're going to recruit new students, do some marketing, or um, work on adding people from your waiting list, depending on the situation. I have a waiting list, and it is overwhelmingly long, so I try not to look at it too often. I have been giving preference to siblings first, so I haven't really been taking in any new families for quite a while now. So after I've made my schedule, 
I'm going to fit in those siblings. And then if I did have any available spots left, if I was opening up a new time or something like that, that's when I go to my waiting list, start at the top, contact them, give them a deadline of when to apply. So say, I have Fridays at 3.30 now free. Please reply within before Friday or whatever it is to secure that spot if you're still interested. And that way you can move down the waiting list fairly quickly. You don't want to let them go a week even at this stage because you've probably got a few weeks before term starts. You don't want to be missing out. So it is going to be a little bit of a case of tough luck. If they emailed you, maybe email and phone and text if you like, but you don't want to be nagging them either. If they've been on your waiting list for a little while, they might not be interested anymore. So just give them the opportunity and then move on to the next one. When you have your students from the waiting list that you think might be a good fit for your studio and fit with an available spot, that's when I like to schedule interviews. So I schedule meetings with my new students always and their parents. I think it's so important for many reasons, which I'll go into in a later episode, but it's really about getting to know them and having the opportunity to talk through your policies face to face that I think is so important without that expectation of an introductory lesson or a first lesson. Make sure you schedule interviews with your new students. And I like to do this in the week before we resume lessons, but you can also do it at the first lesson back. Say that this is, first one is going to be a meeting and you want parents there and the student and you're going to introduce them to your studio and how it all runs. After you've made your schedule, you've got your new students booked in and all that stuff. The next priority for me is the calendar of events for the year. So I like to make up a calendar and I'll mark in preliminary dates for recitals, group lessons, any events we have going on like practice incentives or anything like that. Just a loose schedule. It doesn't need to be exact and definite yet. And certainly I haven't booked halls or anything like that for my recitals. These are just penciled in dates to give people an idea of when these things are happening and also for my own reference. This is probably the ideal date I do this. We'll see if it works out at the actual time. After the calendar is made up and I've distributed that to parents, new and return, returning parents, um, I get to work on the individual students and lesson planning. And again, this is something I'll cover in more detail in my process here in a later episode. But just to give you an idea for now, this is when I do start to put together the parent progress updates, which are my Google Docs that are shared with parents. And at the top of those, I put goals for the student for the year. I put what books they're using and other resources to refer to, such as audio tracks they can download or videos they should watch and that kind of thing. And then underneath there is going to be the updates at 10 week intervals on how the student is getting on. But I get started just with the goals because it helps me get back in the frame of mind and looking ahead to what that student might need this year. They're a new student, what books I think might be a good fit and what introductory activities we might do and focuses and what their priorities were at the first meeting. If they were, especially if they were a transfer student or an older student, I want to factor in where they wanted to go with music, whether they wanted to learn songs by a particular band or they loved a particular classical piece that they've always wanted to play, something like that. So I'll factor those in there and 
that way I have it started and I'm starting to think about that student and what they need from me this year and how I can fit together resources on an ongoing basis. That's it for the official studio prep and all the stuff that I think we need to do before we start back with teaching. So we've got our enrollment forms and policies and getting those returned. We set up our schedule. We contacted the waiting list if we needed to and scheduled new student interviews and meetings. We set up the calendar with a loose format for the year. And then we set up some kind of goals or notes about each student, whether they're returning or new students. The last thing, though, is that you need to figure out how this year you're going to get you time. So the breaks, the minimum break requirements, that's part of it. But you also need to think about time to set aside when you're actually going to spend time with yourself or do your knitting or watch your favorite shows or whatever. Think about the balance in your life, because as self-employed people, which most teachers are, it can be a struggle to fit all these things in and still have that balance. So now is a great time to think ahead and make some commitments to yourself about hobbies you want to take up or just priorities you have in your personal life or spending time with your family and that kind of thing. That's it for the first episode ever of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this dive into how we get ready, really ready for a new teaching year. If you're listening to this as it goes live, we have a webinar which is out basically today. So it's the Practice Pro webinar. And if you haven't already signed up, you can go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash practice pro to sign up for that and get the replay if you're just a touch late. Vibrant Music Teaching members can, of course, catch that right now inside as a replay if it's already been recorded. Let me know what you think of today's episode inside the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers Facebook group. I'd love to hear what you do to get ready for a new year and what the most difficult part of it is. And if you need some help with some scheduling software or something like that, let us know your queries there too. Catch you there. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this episode, you would love Vibrant Music Teaching Membership. We have courses, comprehensive lesson plans, a fully organized library of games and creative activities, and a fantastically supportive community. Find out more and become a member at vmt.ninja. Sign up today at vmt.ninja and I'll see you on the inside. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.